Later, Jesus went to Jerusalem for a special Jewish festival. In Jerusalem, there is a pool with five covered porches. In Aramaic, it is called Bethsatha. This pool is near the shaped gate. Many sick people were lying on the porches beside the pool. Some of them were blind, some were crippled, and some were paralyzed. One of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had been sick for a very long time. So he asked him, do you want to be well? The sick man answered, sir, there is no one to help me get into the water when it starts moving. I tried to be the first one to get into the water, but when I try, someone else always goes in before I can. Then Jesus said, stand up, pick up your mat and walk. Immediately the man was well. He picked up his mat and started walking. The day all this happened was a Sabbath day. So some Jews said to the man who had been healed, Today is the Sabbath. It is against our law for you to carry your mat on a Sabbath day. But he answered, The man who made me well told me, Pick up your mat and walk. They asked him, Who is the man who told you to pick up your mat and walk? But the man who had been healed did not know who it was. There were many people there, and Jesus had left. Later, Jesus found the man at the temple and said to him, See, you are well now, but stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Then the man left and went back to the Jews who questioned him. He told them that Jesus was the man who made him well. Jesus was doing all this on a Sabbath day. So these Jews began to make, trying to make him stop. But he said to them, My father never stops working, so I work too. This made them even more determined to kill him. They thought it was bad enough that he was breaking the law about the Sabbath day. And now he was saying that God is his father, making himself equal with God. Over the last few weeks, we've been working through John's gospel. Because of the Alpha course uh, coming up and, and our interaction with the students and people in the community, I've been thinking about essentially going public with our faith. What does that look like? What does it mean to go public with our faith? Why does it matter? In this story, Jesus uh, is at Jerusalem, and he's gone for one of the, the festivals, the holy days in the Jewish calendar. And again, John doesn't tell us which one. Now, that doesn't frustrate me because it doesn't matter in this story. But we don't really know which one. What we do know is that Jerusalem had eight gates built into its walls. And here they are uh, at the Sheep Gate. Each gate had its own function. And when you, when you try and find out what was going on here, because it's a, it's a slightly strange thing, these pools at Bethesda and all. Do you know, what was, and at the Sheep Gate. So some people say it's the Sheep Gate because when the sheep were to be made ready for sacrifice, they were bought at the market and they were taken in through the Sheep Gate and they were taken to the pools where they were washed, ready to be sacrificed. Well, if I was sick, I'm not entirely sure I would then want to jump into the pool after the sheep had been in and washed. I'm not entirely sure how healthy 
uh, that would be. The pool is known as the pool of Bethesda. Other people, you see, they think it was to give clean water for the temple, for the purification rites and things in the temple. But there's this other bit that's kind of going on in the story. And I want to give a little bit of cultural context to some of that. The Greeks, when they were the empire that ruled the known world, they uh, had a, a cult, a kind of religion based around Asclepius. And he was the, the pagan god of healing. And during the, the Hellenistic period, the Greeks built Asclepions, or ancient healing centers. And they built them all across the Greek empire. So people who were sick would congregate at what essentially was a, a kind of primitive hospital. They went there because they thought they could be healed. They would drink and they would uh, have baths in the waters of the Asclepian. And then sometimes they slept within the, the, the building. They would sleep on mats that were laid out in a section of the, the kind of inner part of the, the temple there called the Abiton. And that was supposed to be a place where you received dreams from, from, from the, the god Asclepian. And they might get some clues as to what would make them better. So in simple terms, the Greeks attributed the healing power of the natural spring to spirits. And that belief made its way into these uh, Asclepians. The temples, therefore, were built near springs, spas, if you want, with shallow pools and where they could have baths. They waited by the water, praying, thinking, chanting, whatever they were going to do, until, as it was believed, Asclepius would, or one of his servants would come and they made the water bubble up, at which point people dived in because that was the best time to be made well. And so that association between divine healing and sacred water activity became a mainstay at every Asclepian. It was in the culture throughout the Greek world. If you read our story today in the King James Version of the Bible, you'll find that there is a verse 4, which is not in modern translations. And verse 4 says, they waited until an angel of the Lord came and stirred up the water. But modern scholarship says that was a much later addition. It's not in the original manuscripts. So here we are at a kind of Asclepian. There are pools. There are people around the pools waiting somehow to be healed. And whatever was going on there, I don't actually know. But they believed there was healing to be had. The pool of Bethesda actually means the house of grace. And right back at the beginning, when we, when we were just starting in John's gospel, I said to you that symbolism is really important through this gospel. So here we have this story at the sheep gate with Jesus 
next to the house of grace. Symbolism? Well, here is the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world and to make everything right, who is known also as the great physician. Standing at the gate where sheep were brought in to be sacrificed at the temple. Here are pools of water that bring healing. And later on in the gospel, what we see is that John says, from people who believe will flow springs of living water that will bring healing to the nations. Symbolism. Here is Jesus looking at these people and having compassion and ready to offer grace in the house of grace. He's near this pool and here are all the folks lying around waiting for healing. And the man, we're told, has been there for for 38 years. And again, we don't know the details of that. Is he 38? Has he he been there since he was born? Do people bring him every day? Or or does he just live there? We don't know that. Had he actually had an accident when he was in his teens and he's, he's actually much older than 38? We don't know and it's really irritating sometimes. But, but what we do know is that he is there along with all of these other people and somehow Jesus chooses him to receive healing. We know that he was a beggar that he relied on the compassion of other people for his food. Why him? Why him? It's beyond me. It's beyond my understanding. Who am I to question Jesus? But why on earth this one of all of them? But you know what? Why me? Why you? Why does Jesus choose some for salvation? I don't have an answer to that question. But it's a question worth thinking about. In this case, it might have been for the reasons the children gave us. Maybe he was the poorest. Maybe he was the most ill. Maybe just Jesus knew that he was there for 38 years. He had been there longer than anybody else. I don't know. But Jesus chose him. And the thing is, he didn't even know who Jesus was. You know, there's there's another story in in the Bible. And Jesus is, is passing by. And this blind man, he hears that it's Jesus. And he shouts, Jesus, help me. Help me. And he won't let Jesus. And the people are there. And they're trying to shush him. They're trying to keep him quiet. And he shouts all the louder. Jesus, help me. And because he shouted... Jesus helped him. But that's not in this story. We don't, we're not told that the guy asked for help. We're not told that anybody asked on behalf of this man for help. And Jesus just chose him. And it's like one of these questions, you know, you're, you're walking along the street and you've got your crutches and you've got your big stookie on your leg. And you meet your friend coming the other way and he goes, did you hurt your leg? 
Hey, you're there in your, your, your best outfit with the black tie, and you're walking along, and you meet your friend. So oh, you're, you're very smart today. Oh, I've just been at Ted's funeral. Oh, is Ted dead? Right? It's that kind of question, isn't it? Do you want to get better? Well, I've been sick for 38 years. What do you think? It's one of those kind of questions. I love the detail, but I also think it's important to look at the big picture and see the big truths that, that John is trying to get across in his stories. The first thing I think is this. When we think about our faith and about sharing our faith, going public with my faith is a decision, and decisions can be difficult. Because when we choose to go public, what we're saying is that our faith is real. Our faith makes a difference to us. Our faith is relevant to us and also to other people. So before you take your faith public, you've got to have a private connection with God, but also a connection between your heart and your head. Because it's one thing to believe. It's another thing entirely to say, I'm going to allow that belief to be put into practice. It's different from just saying, I believe, to saying, I'm going to let it change my behavior. And that's kind of what helps me to understand this question and why Jesus had to ask it. Did this man and the people around him really want to get well? Or were there other reasons for them being there? When Jesus saw the man lying, he knew that he'd been in that condition for a long time. And so he asked him, do you want to get well? And it's clear, I think, that Jesus wanted the man to think on a, on a different level to where he had been thinking previously. I think there's more that, to see here than we see on the surface. For 38 years, this man had one thing on his CV, beggar. He lived off the donations of others. So what happens if all of a sudden he's well? People wouldn't have sympathy for him anymore. In fact, there would be an expectation that he went out and looked after himself. That's a big change. In terms of faith, I think there comes a point where each of us has to step up. And instead of relying on others, we have to stop living off their faith and realize it's time for me to grow up. It's time for me to mature. It's time for my faith to blossom. And for all of us, I think there's a time when we have to ask ourselves, how much are we learning about God from my own experience? And how much am I relying on learning about God from the experience of other people? We need both. Of course we do. But if all we're doing is relying on what other people know about God and getting it secondhand, then we are missing out on all that God has for us. At one time or another, all of us are in that place. We look at other people 
and we wonder why their life seems so vibrant, why they're so full of faith and energy and enthusiasm, why they're growing and we're not. Our growth and spiritual life begin when we make a decision to be proactive about our faith and we decide that it actually matters and we're going to let it make a difference. The second thing is this. Going public will require me to throw away my excuses. The number of times I've heard, faith is a private thing. The number of times I've wanted to slap the buddy that said that to me. Faith cannot ever be a private thing. It cannot be. If faith was a private thing, you and I wouldn't be here because nobody would have told us about Jesus. And so when we say faith is a private thing, actually what we're doing very often is making an excuse. I couldn't possibly bring somebody to Alpha because I don't have all the answers. But you know, in every other context in life, if somebody asks you a question and you don't have the answer, what do you do? You say, I don't know. And yet somehow we think saying we don't know when it comes to faith is the end of the world. I don't know anybody who has all of the answers to all of the questions that are in the Bible and about, well, Jesus does, but you know, but no human being alive today has all of the answers. It's an excuse. And that's what this man does here. When you read through the story, in verse 7, we see that he dodges the question. Jesus says to him, do you want to get well? Now, that, that's not really a multiple choice answer. I mean, it's a yes or no. It's not a oh, well, give me a couple of days to think about that and I'll get back to you. It's pretty straightforward. Do you want to get well? And what does he do? Well, it's like this. You see, I am paralyzed. I can't move very well. I'm a, you know, and I've got nobody to help me in the water and there's all these other people there and you know, I, I've got to burge him out the way. And, you know, and then, oh, well, by the time I get there, it's too late. Somebody else has been there. Woe is me. I have nobody to help me. And I, I don't want to in any way um, put thoughts or words in Jesus' uh, mouth, but I can imagine him standing there going, aye, that wasn't the question. Do you want to get, I don't care about all that, do you want to get better? And Jesus had compassion on this man. His compassion is what led him to the man. His compassion is what caused Jesus to single him out to be healed. And the truth is, you can't help but feel sorry for somebody who has been in that condition for all of those years. It's a tragedy. Again, we lack the detail. We don't know if he had family. We don't know about people who would be there to help him. We don't know all of that stuff. But essentially what he's saying is, I don't have anybody and even God is not helping me. I always end up with a short end of the stick. I'm always at the back of the queue. I don't know if you've ever felt that way. You ever feel that you're struggling to move forward in life and faith? Feeling a bit left out? Kind of stuck? 
stuck in grief, stuck in emotions, can't seem to get unstuck. It doesn't matter what you do or what you try. Well, maybe, maybe what you need to do is exercise faith in God. Maybe. Maybe you've been living on excuses. Maybe you've been thinking so much about others' experience of faith and trying to get something from that that you've not really taken time with God yourself and developed your own faith in Him. And maybe it's time to throw away the excuses and go public with your faith. Lastly, going public requires us to take a stand. Jesus says to him, stand up, pick up your mat, and get on your way. As far as we know, up until that point, he's never done any of those things. I mean, we don't know if he has ever stood up on his own. We don't know if he has ever just folded up his bed and taken away. We don't know any of those things. But Jesus says to him, it's about time. Now get up, pick up your mat, take your bedding away and go. It wasn't the water that healed him. It wasn't the place that healed him. It was Jesus who healed him. Get up. Of course, he had options. He could have chosen to go, I have no earthly idea who you are, and I don't really want to listen to you. He could have stayed right there on his bed. Or he could have looked around and said, I haven't actually stood up for 38 years. Going to give me a hand. Or he could just do what Jesus told him. Get up. In a real sense, all of us have those choices to make every day. Stay where we are with the faith we currently have and see what happens. We can look to other people to help us. And of course, we all need help at times, and that's absolutely right and appropriate. But if it means that we become reliant on somebody else, if we expect them to pray for us, if we expect them to do the the, the learning the Bible for us, if we expect them to do the talking to other people for us, then that becomes a problem. It's like choosing to leave the mat in place just so that we could go back to it if we really need it. After all, it was kind of comfortable. It was kind of home. It was kind of what we know. But Jesus is saying, pick up the mat and move on. Cut off any possibility of going back to that life. Burn your bridges and burn them today. The man chose to do what Jesus told him to do. And I want to suggest for all of us, that is what we should do. We should do what Jesus tells us to do. Again, it would have been good to know what happened to him. But we don't. We can't know the future. But we do know that Jesus said that he came so that we could have life in all its fullness. Life as good as is possible to have for human beings. And that doesn't mean that we don't suffer. It doesn't mean that we don't struggle. It doesn't mean that everything is always going to go well and we're going to have all of the stuff that we want. But it does mean that we develop a relationship with the living God. And we know that he is for us. 
And when we have that, all the rest pales to insignificance. Because you can't do better than that. So here's this man, and like all of us, he had his excuses, but now he's been made well, and Jesus doesn't want him to go back into that place. He doesn't want us to do that either. He wants us to move forward in faith with him. Amen. We're going to sing together as we close the hymn, O God, our help in ages past.